0: For some, the vast, arid deserts of Arizona may appear overwhelming. Miles of the Suaro terrain stretch as far as the eye can see, with a hot desert sun kissing the endless horizon. There's a peaceful silence to the land, saturated with animal bones and prickly shrubs, that at times can feel unsettling. But for 24-year-old Daniel Robinson, the deserts offer the possibility of excitement. After graduating with honors from the University of Charleston, Daniel moved to Phoenix, Arizona to pursue a career as a field geologist. On July 23, 2021, Daniel was expected at two different job sites. But that morning, Daniel vanished, prompting a missing person search. Less than a month later, Daniel's Jeep was found crashed in a ravine roughly three miles from his job site. Daniel's keys, wallet, and phone were in the car. His clothes lay in a pile beside the vehicle. But no traces of Daniel were ever found. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. The disappearance of Daniel Robinson is a case that has left family members and investigators with more questions than answers. Local police found no evidence of foul play in their investigation, saying that David may have suffered an injury from the crash and escaped. But key pieces of information did not add up. That's why Daniel's father, David Robinson II, hired a private investigator for a new set of eyes. The PI suspected the crash was instead staged noting the jeep had been driven for miles after its airbags were deployed, and there was no blood in the vehicle at all. Additionally, the investigator alleged that Daniel's apartment had been searched and his computer had been accessed after his disappearance. David had spoken to his son at length just days before he went missing, and to him, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. David, a retired U.S. Army veteran, is familiar with arid desert terrains, which is why he traveled to Arizona to search for answers himself. Today, David Robinson II joins me to discuss the ongoing efforts to find his son and to explain the mysterious circumstances of Daniel's disappearance.
1: Well, Daniel, of course, he's the youngest of his uh, other three siblings. He had twin sisters, um, older and uh, older brother. Uh, you know, we grew up in, he grew up in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, we're natives of South Carolina. And, and, you know, from childhood, you know, he's got a young man who liked to challenge himself. Like, as many may know, Daniel has been born without a right hand. Uh, that's something that he was born with. Uh, it's been challenging mentally for uh, his mother and I, uh, but for Daniel, it's never been a challenge for him. He only asked one time uh, about where his, where his hand, you know, because I'm like, sure he saw his siblings and as well as other children. Uh, but after that, he never asked again. Uh, he showed us that uh that is something that's not an impediment for him he he challenged himself whether it's video games where he uh amazingly uh you know beating his siblings you know on on those video games to teaching himself how to play instruments Uh, he taught himself how to play the uh, french horn he moved on to play the trumpet uh he played a little bit of sports you know things like that physically but also he challenged himself mentally uh you know he his siblings. You look at his older brother who's doing very well in school, his siblings, uh, his sisters as well. Uh, he wanted to outdo them like any younger child would do. And, and he is still. He, he, uh, when he got out of co- high school, he went to college. Uh, he decided to major in geology. Uh, and um, not only did he did well on that, uh, he, he uh, graduated with honors. Uh, he decided to take his career out to Phoenix, Arizona, uh, where he landed his first job at a company called Matrix New World, also called Matrix Southwest Groundwater. Uh, they hired him on as a field geologist, also called a hydrogeologist. Uh, and, you know, he just been going on uh, from that point doing very well. Uh, fortunately, under his assignment while he was at work one day, Uh, Got his assignment for that particular day on June the 23rd. He was assigned to two well sites. Uh, The first well site he completed, did some uh, things there that he should have been doing. Uh, He took some pictures of some logs. Uh, And then the story was that he should be moving on to the second well site uh, to meet a, a gentleman there. Uh, from a different company uh, out there in the Sonoran Desert. In the middle of the desert, uh, he's supposed to be meeting someone there from different a different company. is a drilling company called Welbur uh, Waterworks is where uh, Daniel uh, was meeting this gentleman uh, out there in the desert. And that's where the problem began. Um, he ended up going missing from that point.
0: And when did you and your family learn that your son was missing?
1: I felt that Daniel was missing uh, just sitting on my back porch. Uh, My daughter, she called. She was living in Phoenix at the time uh, as well. Daniel was living in Tempe. And uh, she called me and said one of the co-workers, um, which is Daniel's friend from the job, came over. She didn't know at the time, but came over to her apartment and said, hey, he was looking for Daniel. Um, they haven't seen him uh, since that morning and, um, you know, uh, ha- haven't heard from him. So that puzzled her. They gave her a pause and she was uh, worried. First of all, how does God know where she lived? Uh, the second part was, um, where's Daniel? So, of course, uh, she called me, and uh, when I received the call, I had to calm her down. And the first thing as a father to make sure she's okay mentally and to do my due diligence. The due diligence was to have her go over Dane's Daniel's apartment to see if he's there. Um, in the meantime, we we're making phone calls to make sure uh, any other family member heard from him or his friends, you know, things like that. Because Daniel always tell uh, where he located. Uh, once she got to his apartment, she found that his vehicle was gone. Uh, she noticed that his, his, on his patio, it was a, a blinds that was kind of cracked. So she was able to try to peek in. Uh, and his um, living room light was on. Uh, she tried, the door was locked, like I said, and she was a- unable to uh, get in contact with him. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm looking at the time from South Carolina, which is a three hour difference. Um it was over six hours since they anybody heard uh from Daniel. And that's very unusual for Daniel. Uh so of course uh that initiated everything that we as a family uh saw as um something's wrong with Daniel and we need to go find out what happened.
0: Mr. Robinson, I'm I'm so sorry and I can't imagine what your family has gone through since learning of your son's disappearance. Can you share from this point, um, there are a few differing stories and explanations, and then there's also the facts um, that have been the car discovered and, and the like. Can you share with us the different narratives that have been uncovered or explained since his disappearance?
1: Well, you know, uh, initially, you know, being a, a, a family uh, who don't know anything about, you know, you don't come with instructions and you just don't know what to do when your loved one goes missing. Uh, you know, initially, uh, I was told uh, when I was back in South Carolina the day that Daniel was missing, that uh, a coworker, which would have been the gentleman that was uh, Daniel was supposed to be meeting at the second well site out there in the Sonoran Desert, uh, said that he uh, pretty much waved off after 15 minutes of speaking with him at that well site, waved off and, and drove off to never be seen again. Of course, you know, over, over with hearing that information, as many know that I, have, uh, I didn't accept it immediately because you know that was something that uh, did not give me answers to where Daniel was located. So of course I drove uh, over 2000 miles to Arizona uh, to find out some things for myself. Uh, Once I did arrive to Arizona, I did work for law enforcement, but also uh, started my own investigations to uh, find out what happened, what exactly happened. So I did interview the the, uh, gentleman again uh, uh, who was at the well site with Daniel. There's different stories I heard. I heard one from law enforcement that he actually uh, spoke about. But then at the same time, he was also able to give me more information uh, about his narrative or what happened. So the narrative been about my son's disappearance has been built on what the uh, gentleman from the well site initially said um, that gave law enforcement, I guess, their lead to go on and look for more information. There also been a lot of focusing on my son's uh, mental state, um, according to law enforcement. However, it differs from my family and I. Um, I didn't have any reason to believe that Daniel was going through any kind of depressions or anything like that, because uh, I did have a conversation with my son two days prior to him going missing. Uh, there was no indications there of him being depressed. But, you know, of course, um, the case just moved on forward. Um, I was able to do searching. I started um, a grassroots uh, search for my son. Uh, because I didn't get the uh, kind of search that I needed from law enforcement. And, you know, and, and, and I've been going forward with that, uh, that, that search for my son. So things are going forward until that vehicle showed up. I think that's where you're going at at the moment when that vehicle showed up.
0: So it's my understanding that on July 19th then, so the next month that a rancher located your son's 2017 Jeep Renegade, um, and right. it was battered and and rolled onto its passenger side in a ravine. So it looked to be a sort of horrific car wreck. Um, There were police reports on it. And there were also your private investigators that researched it. Can you share the different extrapolations that were gleaned from this accident and, and those also sources of difference in opinions?
1: Yeah, well, when that that vehicle first showed up on July the 19th, uh, the rancher did find that information, uh, find the vehicle. Um, Law enforcement did not notify me uh, over 24 hours later, uh, despite that I was out in the desert with hundreds of volunteers searching for my son. uh, They felt they didn't want to disturb my sleep is what they told me um, to uh, uh, let me know that the vehicle was actually found. Uh, so when I did uh, hear about the vehicle on the twentieth, uh, uh, the next day after the nineteenth, uh, the law enforcement did inform me of their um, assessment of what happened at the scene. Uh, they gave me a picture uh, and they told me um, exactly what they felt. They felt that uh, initially uh, that the uh, Daniel drove out into that that desert ravine. Uh, it was a twenty foot ravine. The pictures as he said, was very deceiving. Uh, it's it twenty twenty foot deep. Uh, The assessment was that the vehicle rolled and flipped and twisted and rolled and landed on the side. Uh, But they felt that uh, the good news is what the uh, what the detective told me uh, is that they felt that Daniel did not receive any uh, injuries, you know, saying because he had his seatbelt on. Uh, But at the same time, they felt he had a a severe brain injury that caused him to kick the sunroof out. Uh, Many hindsight know that uh, the Jeep Renegades don't have the typical sunroof uh, that we see in vehicles. They do not have glass and things, they just have panels. Uh, But he kicked his way out of that panel, um, got outside the vehicle. And once he got outside, uh, because of the brain injury, it causes him to feel like he's hot. Uh, that's what made him shred all his clothes. Uh, that's the reason why the clothes were found three feet away from the vehicle and the PAL. And he may have walked off and succumbed to his. He on in- a tree and succumbed to his injury. And the animal may have gotten him. Uh, in those clothing was my son's wallet. Um, of course, there was no cash in that wallet. Uh, but it was able to pull his um school ID and his um driver license out of that wallet uh, to identify it as my son's wallet. Uh, Also inside the vehicle at that crime scene, um, there was uh, my son's work computer, the same laptop that he uses for his assignments that he get from Matrix New World Selfish Groundwater. Uh, There's also was two cases of waters untouched um, in that vehicle, as well as his cell phone, uh, which the family and I was calling for a whole entire day uh, before uh, from the time he went we found he went missing. Uh, all the way until near midnight when it finally started going straight to voicemail. Uh, but that was found in the vehicle as well as his house keys um, to his, his apartment. Uh, the other part is they felt the second narrative is that uh, maybe um, uh, he just wanted to be away from his family. Uh, he staged all of this to be away from his family, join a monastery, become a monk. Uh, so those things, um, of course, I'm not going to accept that You know, as a father hearing that. Uh, And and that caused me to uh, look for a second opinion, which is is get to get in a private investigator. Uh, Once I um, got my private investigator, in the meantime, I did again under my own investigation, was able to get in contact with the rancher, uh, the one who actually found the vehicle out there in the desert. Uh, He expressed to me and he's willing to testify and do all that he can to help uh, he's, he spoke to law enforcement as well. He's been there two days prior. He's been there on the 17th of July uh, looking down that ravine. And the reason why he gave me that information, he said, hey, he's a third, fourth generation cattle, cattle rancher. Uh, that's his lands. Um, you know, his lands is adjacent to the feral land. And he said, you know, he, he's out there. Uh, he tracks his cattle. His cattle is coming down that very ravine. Uh, that's the way they go down through to go to a corral that's south of where that vehicle was found. Uh, but he went there and they didn't come through on the 17th yet. So he came back on the 19th to see if they came through yet. And that's when the vehicle was found. So uh, with the information uh, that also helped with my private investigator uh, who didn't know the information at the time. And he was able to extrapolate all the information that came from the black box data uh, that he, he he received from law enforcement, um, as well as uh, the physical uh, evidence that he collected off the vehicle, the measurements and stuff uh, that would suggest that the vehicle was actually placed there. Uh, there's a stage event, uh, so that's that's where we're at. But law enforcement feel different. They felt the vehicle was there for 30 days. Uh, that's their narrative. Daniel was in some some, some type of depression, uh, rolled his vehicle and left to never be seen again. So those two things, two narratives, uh, are conflicts with each other, and it's been that way since.
0: And can you share a little bit of those? additional details. So you talked about the black box data. So we have the rancher that said, you know, I was there two days before I did not see the car at the time, um, the Jeep at the time. And also there were additional data points having to do with the airbag deploying and being driven additional mileage, the lack of blood. There were other aspects about the crash that gave you pause and that led to a conclusion that perhaps this was staged. Can you share those details?
1: Well, you know, of course, uh, me, uh, you know, I, I, some people say I'm biased, you know, just my son. Of course, I should be. I'm a father. I have to uh, protect my son. Uh, yes. The thing is, that when I first saw the, 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 uh, the, I call it a crime scene. Um, that's exactly what I saw. I saw foul play. Uh, and the reasons why, uh, you know, because things, first of all, Daniel would not just go, as law enforcement would say, decided to be away from his family when he uh, had plans with the family. We're a loving family. We're a re- very tight knit family. We speak to each other. We don't we could talk about anything. So those things was puzzling to me The from the nature and the person that Daniel is as well. Also, uh, like you said, my investigator did find uh, those uh, evidence of um, staging events. Like I said, the red transfer paint, for instance, that's on the side of the vehicle. The vehicle came in contact with something out there, uh, came in contact with something somewhere, uh, and, and there's nothing red in the desert. Uh, the other part is, uh, you know, with the uh, black box data Uh, That was given to my law uh, to my investigator from law enforcement. Uh, He was able to find those uh, 11 additional miles driven after the Airbag deployment, um, as well as when he took out the um, uh, infotainment system and had it analyzed in California. Um, He got back a uh, I think it was an 800 page report uh, that actually states that the the accident happened closely to one o'clock. And also, that was a 46 initial cycle. So I was trying to crank it up for 46 times. But And also, the distance it takes for the vehicle to get up to 35 miles per hour to make it into that ravine, the crash, the airbag deployment happened um, when the vehicle was going 30-something miles per hour. The, the landscape wasn't wasn't long enough for that vehicle to do so. We tried to do it with desert vehicles. We had lighter-weighted vehicles. Uh, my gear and I actually uh, take those desert vehicles that was actually made for that terrain and they couldn't do it. So it's impossible for a heavy SUV to be able to do it as well. And, and so, you know, it's those things that did, didn't make sense uh, for uh, me, you know, just using science and, and common sense. Common sense would say, hey, look, it's impossible for a person to crank a vehicle at six time while it's lying on its passenger side. Um, it's, it's physically impossible, humanistically impossible. It's scientifically impossible. So we need to ask questions about what really uh, happened at that scene.
0: And on top of that, and I just have to say, I mean, it, it bears worth repeating. So the, the car was the ignition was cycled 44 times after the crash 46,
1: uh, right.
0: and was 40 and was driven 11 miles after the airbag deployed.
1: That's correct. How
0: did law enforcement respond when you underlined these two facts to them?
1: Well, you know, because uh, um, the law enforcement, re- uh, you know, really wanting to, uh, for some reason, put Daniel's vehicle there for 30 days at the time, my investigator felt really paused that uh, sharing this data uh, and this information with law enforcement, uh, he was actually trying to get FBI involved. Being that the vehicles found uh, a few hundred feet, uh, probably a couple of, uh, of spaces uh, from federal land, and BLM land, uh, Bureau of Land Management, uh, we wanted the FBI to come into the case. Well, we don't know the this, this vehicle actually came across federal land and we want to be able to get them involved. It was unfortunate, uh, was unable to get them. So we did get those information over to the Buckeye Police Department who took that same information. They waited for a while, uh, for a month to uh, to respond. Uh, this, instead of embracing what we found, they decided to hire their own private investigator, who's also an uh, accident reconstruction as mine. Uh, and um, that investigator, who have never seen Daniel's vehicle, never touched it, never tasted never smelled it, uh, made a, a, a full report about something he have never seen, uh, never examined, and said that, yes, the vehicle's there for 30 days. It rolled over and flipped. Despite there's no roof damage on the vehicle, there's no certain things. So that's where law enforcement is standing on. They're standing on um, for whatever reason, things that they, that doesn't go, go along with the science. They'll go along with the uh, full evidence. Um, There's no forensics have been done on the vehicle at the time uh, when the vehicle was found in that thing. So it's it's a lot of things was absent up there. And we're trying to get those things done. I'm trying to get those things done uh, currently. Some things still need to be uh, processed. So they're standing on those things, those facts that they came up with, uh, according to the investigator. uh, And I'm standing on the facts that uh, we found on the ground.
0: We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Mr. Robinson, can you share about how, after your son went missing, that your family's private investigator found two additional suspicious signs? One, that it appears that your son's apartment building was searched after he went missing, and also someone had accessed his computer after that time. In addition to you receiving some messages from some type of third party, can you describe all of that?
1: Well, you know, uh, when my investigator and I, we, my family, we were trying to get in Daniel's apartment for a while um, before the vehicle showed up, um, but was una- unable to uh, for legal reasons. The landlords felt, you know, they wasn't allowing us in, so of course we had to pay uh, rent. Uh, but the thing is, uh, uh, was uh, I finally was able to get somebody in there. Uh, it was the Buckeye Police Department. Uh, I tried again. They told me no. The family no. They told us no. Um, and in law enforcement, we was on a phone call, a three-way call, and uh, we talked to the landlords, let them know it's out Police Department. Uh, they finally agreed to allow the law enforcement in. They didn't allow the family in, uh, but they said, "Hey, look, they had to have a um, one of the land managements to to go in assist law enforcement because law enforcement wasn't allowed legally uh, to touch anything, uh, but they can't go in and take pictures uh, for this." Um, a welfare check that have never been done. You know, actually, when I say welfare check, they actually go inside the place to see if Daniel in there is in there. So, um, gratefully that he wasn't, they was able to take some pictures. Uh, so, that was the first initial um, entrance into Daniel's apartment. But I also, after that, was able to get, uh, as a family, access to the apartment. Before the family I went in, I decided to send my private investigator in first and let him do his assessment. Uh, when he got out of that apartment, Uh, He he gave me uh, pictures of his assessment and he found that uh, someone was searching for something in Daniel's apartment in his, his uh, bedroom. Uh, things was pulled apart in his bedroom, uh, thrown on the floor, in the closet. Uh, the shelves, was, things was pulled off the shelves. Someone was looking for something, but we didn't know it was Daniel uh, or someone else at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but high in sight, once my investigator uh, stopped working with me, I was able to uh, get a meeting with the uh, Tempe Police Department, uh, which is Mayor Woods at the time, as long as, uh, as also with the— uh, Uh, Chief of Police, uh, Chief uh, Anderson and Chief Glover, at the time of the Tempe Police Department, we had a meeting and I was able to convince them to do the forensics on Daniel's electronics, Um, his personal computer, redo the cell phone and uh, gaming systems, everything um, that's electronic that can provide some type of information or data. Uh, So when I was able to get that report back, uh, we shared that with the um, Buckeye Police Department uh, and I was able to get information that someone Uh, I cannot get a date because it's still an investigation um, on my part. But someone after Daniel went missing was in his apartment. And uh, looking uh, through his computers, they going through the files, they going through Google searches, et cetera. And that put put that those two things together, um, at least to uh, give us an understanding of what happened uh, after Daniel went missing someone was in his apartment looking through his, 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 his room and as well as through his computer. So that's where we're standing right now. Uh, that's where I'm continuing my investigation from.
0: Do you have any insight into the substantive nature of those Google searches, what that person was looking up?
1: Yes, I do, and that's another thing. that's um, still under an investigation, and you know, try to uh, understand if it was indeed Daniel or anybody else. So we still have to kind of go back through that, that those type things.
0: So just to be clear, is there a chance it was your son?
1: I'm hoping so. You know, for okay. me as a, as a family, you know, uh, despite of everything that 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 says foul play, I tell people all the time, I really know uh, some form of foul play happened out there in that that desert. Uh, But what foul play really means, I do not know. So whatever that is, um, I'm hoping that my son is still out there somewhere. He's okay. Uh, I don't know somebody by force brought him back to his apartment, had him go through uh, his computer or or look for whatever happened. Uh, But I definitely hope my son is out there somewhere, and that's what I'm going to keep continue to believe.
0: It's been reported, and you mentioned this in the beginning, you said you had a phone call with him two days before he went missing in June of 2021. Um, he, he gave no indications anything was wrong. Uh, but detectives reported, according to police records, they heard nothing indeed about him being having any negative thoughts, suicidal ideation, none of that. But they did report that he displayed some strange behavior in the days immediately before he vanished. Can you describe any of that? And do you have an explanation for any of it?
1: Well, I heard a lot of things. Um, I even heard that um, I said that he was in love with a woman he didn't know. That's something I keep asking law enforcement to take off their report. I have never said that. Um, Daniel has never uh mentioned love, the word love to me when it comes to a young lady, for instance, you probably heard a lot about that. So um, that that indication from the young lady, which was put in the report, I'm trying to understand that part. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we'll give people pause to say, hey, with the also the uh, assessment of coworkers, as uh, law enforcement would put it. Um, that said, he was at the odd of strange uh, coming up to those days. Um, of course, uh, in my investigation, I asked those coworkers, and turned out to be only one um, law enforcement use plurals instead of using uh, singulars in their report. And, and it was one from um, a, a friend of his that he, he actually uh, hangs out with. So I have no dispute uh, with the um, young man who uh, Daniel Ashley's friend with if he felt that, felt that Daniel was having some type of uh, thoughts about anything. Um, You know, I do know that Daniel was displeased with his job um, at the time before he went missing. That's the conversation we have. And one of those things, the reason why he was doing Instacart. Uh, Instacart was something he did because he needed money. He didn't tell me uh, um, uh, quickly until that two days prior to him going missing. Uh, He told me about the Instacart because he, he needed money. Uh, and the reason why he needed money, because his job would uh, make him pull up, uh, you know, pay for everything up front. And then they say, Hey, we give you a reimbursement. Don't reimbursements come really slow. He had to pay his bills. Uh, so he took on Instacart to uh, cover those. So a lot of that stuff could be on the mind. We don't know what was on Daniel's mind uh, when he was talking to his friend. Uh, but like I said, he was talking to me on the phone. He had um, two days prior, he had plans to meet with his sisters that weekend to go hiking. I'm a computer engineer major. He was talking to me about the computer. He had the computer, the same computer that did the is on. He had just completed. He built that computer himself. Is very proud uh, about that. So it was a proud moment on that behalf. Uh, he also talked about other things, his uh, plans to still travel. We always talk about that on the phone. We have two-hour conversations. So in that conversation, those were the points. And also, lastly, he also talked about the young lady. And that's the first time I ever heard of Caitlin, um, who was um, the, the young lady that's uh, displayed in the report. Um, that's the first time I ever heard about her. And, of course, I learned a lot about from, from my son about that situation. But, he, like, again, he never used the word love. Um, and there was no indications of uh, any depression. From that, uh, she did share a uh, podcast with him. Uh, her, her the reason why she shared the podcast is because he said, according to Daniel, is that she felt that he had he's he's had an attitude ar- arrogant the way he was arrogant or something out of other. And I told her he's not. He's very confident. You know, there's two different ways so he can come off as being arrogant, but he's uh, confident in himself. Like I said, ever since he was a child, uh Daniel have always been confident. So those two things got confused, and that's the only reason why I believe. A young lady gave him the uh, podcast to look at.
0: And so, you know, to your point, what I'm hearing is, and what we both know to be true, specificity matters. And it so does. it sounds like there were a lot of specifics that were um, changed and or distorted inadvertently or clumsily or however or why over that ended right. up sort of being taken as gospel. And it seems to me in listening to your story, you you did everything right, which was enlisting so many professionals private investigators that you gave first bite at the apple to, they entered the apartment first. You know, you were so diligent and, and painstaking with this. And just hearing about it, you know, those are things we usually trust law enforcement to do. Why should you be having to do all that? You've mentioned now numerous different law enforcement agencies, Buckeye Police, Tempe. You're hoping for Maricopa to the sheriff's office to take over. You were hoping for the FBI. Can you share about where the case is currently, whose hands is it in, and just share for listeners, since there isn't a playbook about this, and so much of your angst has been the communication with law enforcement or the the lack of attention and and help and all this. Can you share about that tension between those agencies and and where you are right now with that?
1: Yes, of course. Um, you know, uh, one of the biggest parts is. It don't come with a, a plan book or a playbook or, uh, you know, when a person go missing, you know, a family is, is empty handed, you know, and our first indications is to uh, have law enforcement to help. And, of course, that was the first help that I have um, in, in my son's uh, in finding my son. Uh, but often you'll find, especially with um, young men, uh, men in particular, black males especially, um, you'll find that sometimes uh, those those cases do not become the, taken seriously. Um, initially, putting a report asking law enforcement to go out there in the desert uh, once I found out doing my investigation from South Carolina at the time. And um, uh, and go actually go out there to search for my son. Uh, once I found out he was actually missing in the Sonoran Desert and they say, no, they can't because they can't put a helicopter out at night. I'm a retired military guy. We fly helicopters all every at, at night mm-hmm. on missions uh, without lights, you know. Uh, so I know that it's physically possible. It's physically possible. But nevertheless, that's what law enforcement felt. Uh, they felt it was going to go the next day. But then the flight was canceled. Think about this. is canceled. Only based on the fact that someone in the higher ups, as the officer told me, uh, decided that they were not going to send a helicopter out to search for Daniel because they say he's a grown man. He could disappear if he wants to. And nobody told him, them that Daniel wanted to p- disappear if he want to because he wanted to. Daniel did not tell him that. So that was one of those assumptions that can cause people to not get that attention or that urgency that need to be done. We already know every moment count if you want to actually find out what happened and find out where the person is located. Those was missed opportunities for law enforcement. I had to actually have an auntie from Philly to call. I don't know what she said while I was traveling on up to Arizona after hearing that. Um uh, and uh, she, whatever she said, they could. He, she convinced them to call Phoenix Police Department to get fire and rescue, uh, the Phoenix Firebird helicopter, they said, to come out and search for Daniel almost three days after he went missing. So, like I said, you know, that, those are missed opportunities and those kind of things is very damaging for uh, loved ones when we're out trying to find um find our loved one. And so the thing is, uh, once I got there, like I said, uh, I, the the thing was with law enforcement, of course, we, again, we're still going to fight with law enforcement. We're still going to work. My vision was to work side by side. I'm just not a father of the kind that was would sit back at home somewhere and make a phone call to law enforcement every day and ask them, have they found my son yet? Uh, he's my son, so I had to be a hands-on person. I had to be there with law enforcement. That was my, my whole vision and my whole thought is to be working side by side with law enforcement so we can find my son. They have the tools that I need. They can do the warrants. They can do all the things that law enforcement do. But I can, I believe in faith. I'm a faith person and and faith is the action word and you have to put actions to your faith. And I feel like if if I want to really find my son, I have to be in there. So we do, we do rely on law enforcement.
0: It's my understanding that you are hoping that Maricopa County Sheriff's Office will get involved. Do you still hope so? And if so, why?
1: Yeah. You know, I I really need law enforcement with Maricopa County and the reasons why um, it's not a secret. I had lost a lot of confidence in the Buckeye Police Department. Um, If it wasn't for uh, the generous people um, in the communities all over the country who's been raining down on uh, law enforcement, the news agencies, et cetera, um, there wouldn't have been nothing done by law enforcement. They actually said on their social media there's more leads to follow. Um, They were done. They gave my investigator the black box data with no question. They told him they weren't even investigating and so, uh, once the, my son's case became on a natural level, like I said, it wasn't for people raining down on law enforcement. Um, they would have stopped and, um, that's what kind of pushed them along to do a little bit more. Uh, but, but I lost a lot of confidence in the uh, Buckeye police department. So that's when I went out to, uh, get assistance from people like the Tempe police department, went out to the field office in Phoenix, the FBI, to try to get them involved. I was told, um, um, by the Buckeye Police Department at one point, uh, that the FBI was coming to my case. I told my family, we were very excited. I told the public uh, on a family press conference, all to find out, uh, and also had my attorney at the time to um, make sure that I was a part of this case briefing uh, from the FBI. For instance, the Buckeye Police Department did not even answer that request. Uh, they had this uh, meeting with the FBI alone without my presence. And then they gave me a feedback to say, "Hey, the FBI, the FBI does a little bit." They said, "The FBI said you, Mr. Robinson, is doing such a great job on your own. We don't need to come in." And that's exactly what I was told from the Buckeye Police Department. Um, uh, uh, what the FBI had to say to me. About coming into my son's case, that was a devastating blow uh to my family because we needed uh because we see seen everything we see all the evidence that even the public don't have, and we need to have the FBI involved. we found human remains as it, there's no secret. everybody knows that in my forty nine weeks so surge of desert search of thirty five thousand acre land, uh volunteers and I we found. Uh, other human remains, bringing closures for other families. Uh, we saw um, a case for the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, a stolen vehicle uh, recovered, um, et cetera. But yet, at, the, at, at all of that, um, uh, like, like I say, my son went missing in the crime scene. FBI is not involved. So currently, I'm still pressing for the FBI to get involved. Uh, I'm pressing for uh, law enforcement to do the forensics o- correctly on my son's vehicle. The airbag wasn't tested. Uh, the red transfer paint—we don't know where it came from. Um, the clothing—we don't identify it as a family. They sand is my son's clothing. Uh, we want that tested uh, to see if there's airbag fragment, you know, uh, powder on this airbag. If it is his clothing, to see. Uh, if he was actually in a vehicle forensic, if it's his clothing. Anybody else is in the vehicle, there's blood in the vehicle. They told me we didn't see with our eyes in the blood in the vehicle. We don't know. So all those things, I'm still housing. It costs me money every month to house forensics. I don't really know how to house, but how ha- housing the vehicle, housing the airbags, the clothing, all the stuff trying to force um, law enforcement to do forensics. Um, so that's where Maricopa County come in. Uh, who has the uh, the facilities they have a rapid uh, DNA testing center. Uh, they can pull things faster. Um I talked to Sheriff and Zone. we have uh, several meetings. Uh, he gave me some some indications that he would help. Um, of course, but it was with the blue is always just back and forth. They talking to Tempe they blaming Tempe, Tempe blaming them and Buckeye you know it's, it's that kind of thing and in the meantime, um, my son is losing out. Because, um, you know, these things need to be processed. So that's where we're at right now, currently uh, getting that stuff processed. And also to take the uh, apartment um, that my son, uh, the information we found on his apartment, uh, someone coming in after he went missing, take all this stuff seriously uh, and get those things going forward.
0: Can I just make sure I understand you are paying personally to house your son's vehicle and all that was recovered in the scene of the crash. You're paying for that personally. Um, in a in a forensically approved site, essentially to preserve evidentiary quality and right. integrity, while you are waiting for either Buckeye or Tempe or Maricopa County to process it, and there are yeah. people responding to you and your pleas saying, "Well, it's them, it's them, and it's them." You're just getting the runaround from these these agencies. I mean, that's and, unacceptable. That's
1: inf- yeah, that, that's, that's infuriating. It's it's hurtful. It's hurtful. Um, the vehicle was given to me. Um, on, on the 20th, the, the, the vehicle found on the 19th the vehicle was given to me on the 20th. Um, the day they showed it to me, I was devastated. I don't know the law. For some reason, the uh, detective wanted me to touch the vehicle. I I wasn't being smart. I was just devastated. And I know God protected me. I didn't know about, you know, I'm supposed to touch certain things. Uh, but. Um, but, uh, but I was, I had enough and I told the officer, look, I, I need to get out of here. I've seen enough. And he told me that, Hey, look, Mr. Robinson, if you don't get this out here today, we're going to have a total way and You're going to have to pay storage fees. I'm not from Phoenix. I'm not from Arizona. I asked, I had to beg the man to keep it for an extra three days. Um, uh, and he finally agreed to it. Um, I was able to get the um, uh, the Buckeye Police Department to get a meeting with Chief Hall. Larry Hall is the chief at the time. And in and, and, and that meeting uh, in, within those three days, that's when I found all the information. Like I said, I still had custody of the vehicle and still sitting there in that compound. But uh, I was able to force them to do uh, what I asked for was fingerprinting on the vehicle. They didn't do any forensics at the scene, but they did what they end up doing was uh, swabbing the steering wheel and the shifter. I need more than that. That's just half half doing the job uh, of, of law enforcement work. Uh, from that point, th- my investigator, uh, he was able to get that vehicle out of that compound, uh, the police compound, and uh, have it sent to a location, like you said, that, was, that houses uh, forensic type um, vehicles um, to keep that safe. Now, however, the airbags and the clothing items, that's in a different uh, facility, so yes, they are in a jeopardy of being lost forever because it's costly. You can imagine uh, paying something every month. Um, I, I had to still pay my mortgage in South Carolina. I had to still take care of things in South Carolina, and at the same time, have to take care of things in Arizona. So you you can imagine the cost uh, that that's accrued with that trying to house house forensics. That should be in a uh, evidence locker somewhere, uh, in law enforcement evidence locker or, or process so we can get rid of these things. So that type, you know, that's what should be happening right now.
0: Stay with us. More of the Fox True Crime podcast after this. Something I want to circle back to. Is it true that you've received sort of ominous messages on social media from someone or people claiming to have any involvement? do you take any stock in that what occurred there
1: well you know in my journey to uh locate my son you know you put yourself in the public eye um i, I received a lot of things um initially i've I received um, um tips that says yeah we have daniel uh we broke his legs he's um you know they have him in a, some basement somewhere in arizona um, you know, that type thing. Um, of course, my investigator I, at the time, I was able to get him. To, we had to play alone for a while to get him to be able to try to track these phones, to find out those uh, burner phones. Um, I started getting death threats. Um, so with the death threats, I went to the FBI about it. Um, the FBI took a report, but they say because I have an open case with Daniel with the Buckeye Police Department, I needed to go to the Buckeye Police Department to report to them. And then they come back to the FBI to bring them in. I did at the Buckeye Police Department. To date, they have not not done anything about it. Uh, Chief Larry Hall even b- t- pretended last year to act like he never heard about the death mm-hmm. threats. Um, I, I receive them through emails. I receive, um, uh, you know, so we receive a lot. Through my tip line, we receive all kind of things uh, where people ransom type stuff to, uh, you know, so that's the things that families have to go through when they're looking for loved ones. Uh, so that's what um, I have. And, but those things always never uh, fan out. So it's, it's sad to say some things you have to uh, to go along with just to make sure, uh, but it's painful just to have to go through that. But, you know, to make sure that we can, um, uh, you know, rule out that these people are actually uh, involved. We have one you may be mentioning, I think on Twitter, uh, people's bombarding me with the guy said, he know who uh, did something to Daniel. Uh, according to Buckeye police department, they actually Talked to the person and did some things and said they rule them out. So that's where we're standing on those things.
0: I'm so sorry. Is there anything else that you would like listeners to understand or anyone listening to understand?
1: Well, you know, one thing for sure is that uh, you know it, it, everything what happened for my family and I with Daniel uh, is not something new. You know, this is happening in this country sadly to say every day, as we speak and someone's going missing. And, and, and the crazy part is families don't know what to do. But one thing I can say with, if anybody listening, they can say, look, you know, I need to help these families. And it's simple. Just by sharing the story, passing out these flyers, um, et cetera. Uh, families dependent on that. I'll tell you, in time we have you know, coverage, we have people actually showing interest in our loved one case, um, that goes goes a long way with law enforcement because it forces them to continue to do work, uh, because my vision is and my my fear. I, I don't have fear, but my, my things I worry about, if I want to say it that way, is that, um, you know, without this uh, public help, uh, you know, that gives law enforcement room. And all that I can vision is uh, them saying, hey, look, we have no leads to follow. They said before and they take Daniel case and they. And the way I in my head in some cardboard box and they throw it in the back closet in their uh, closet somewhere and they start collecting dust and that detective retire. And then what's mm-hmm. going to happen is a new detective is going to come in one day and he's going to go in that same closet 20 years later, blow the dust off. And open it up, read through the stuff, and solve the case the next day. It's not that the case, the information wasn't there, as you guys can see in this case. It's just getting law enforcement to actually do something about it. And that's where I'm standing at right now. I don't need this, uh, my son's case, to be solved 20 years from now. I need it to be solved today. And those information is there in the forensics. And that's why I'm asking anybody who's listening to keep support. Keep the pre- Help me keep the pressure on law enforcement. We're going to talk about them not getting the forensics done, um, not having custody of this vehicle, the uh, process, set um, of Maricopa County is where I'm, I'm focusing on. And also not having the FBI into my son's case when his vehicle was found. Literally, you could take 10 steps uh, to the West and you're on federal land. Who's to say uh, this vehicle wasn't actually on federal land, which I have uh, information that it was, But it's so close. We saw that in the Gabby Petito story. It was so close on federal land that the FBI had to come in. So we want to be able to, to have that in Daniel's case as well.
0: And with this attention will hopefully come the use of resources, all resources that your son and you and your family deserve.
1: Uh, yeah, if anybody, uh, you know, have any tips, and that's one thing uh, is very important. Um, I did a lot of follow a lot of leads, um, you know. So, of course, people think they see Daniel, so we have to follow those things up. But anybody have any tips that that is uh, valuable uh, to firsthand knowledge of what happened to my son? Uh, They can always call the tip line that I I pay for. Um, The number is 844 602 There's live operators day and night. They will take your call. Uh, You can remain anonymous. If you don't want to talk to anybody, uh, you can just text the word TIP to that number and a form will come up and you can still remain anonymous. So, It's very crucial that I get any kind of information, all the information I can uh, to help me uh, locate what happened to my son uh, and so I can find them. So those things are important. Uh, If anybody wants to um, help in uh, in any other way, um, they can go to pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. That's pleasehelpfinddaniel.com. There's many ways um, that you can help uh, from the uh, mail-in protest to donating uh, to uh, to putting your voice to a petition. uh, When I have the searchers joining in the search. Um, um, help in other ways. Cause I do have the Daniel Robinson foundation, you know, there's all the information there um, that you need. You can print out flyers, for instance. Um, uh, also a point that you can print out flyers. If you want to help me get those flyers out, uh, you can request flyers. If you can't print them, I can have them sent out to you. Um, just reach me at please help find Daniel at yahoo.com and request for flyers. And I'll send those out as well.
0: Thank you so much, Mr. Robinson. I'm so sorry the situation that you and your family are going through and it is my sincerest hope that this attention will help get those resources all the resources that you and your son and your family deserve
1: i I really appreciate i really appreciate the job that you're doing uh what you're doing is definitely helping uh families in a tremendous way uh whether you know it or not is is a big instrument uh uh, for uh the families of the missing that we really need people like yourself and i really thank Mm you uh personally want to thank you as well
0: Please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com.